This is the Life Church Podcast. For more messages, to watch our live stream, or to find other events, go to lifechurchnow.org. All right, well, we're in the series Man Rise Up. Just kicked it off last week. How many of you were here last week? Okay, a bunch of you. Good, good, good. Uh, it's a series that's directed to men. But it's not only for men, it's applicable to both men and women. And you notice that I've been, I have been challenging women as well in this series. Um, in this series is a call to action. And so we are calling men to rise up, to metaphorically speaking, get out of the lazy boy. All right? To get out of the recliner. To rise up and discover what God has called you to become as a man. And that's what we've been talking about. Now that's kind of confusing these days actually. There's a lot of voices out there as to what is masculinity. A lot of voices. And so people might be a little bit confused. In fact, a couple weeks ago, I, I go to the library on occasion. I don't go often anymore because I run into too many people that I know, and then I, I don't study. I talk. So, but I was going to the library a few weeks ago. Maybe it was about a month ago, and I was walking into the library. And as I'm walking into the Corville Library, as I'm walking into the Corville Library, there was a young lady that was kind of in parallel walking with me to my left here, and so as we're walking up to the door, I, I get close to the door of the library, I lunge forward and I grab the door and I held it open. And so she's walking next to me, she, as she's passing me, and I pull the door open, she stops in her tracks, looks at me and says, you don't have to do that. I can open my own door. And I'm like, I'm like holding it like, oh, okay, uh, I'm sorry. So I started walked in, you know, and I, I'm here thinking, my, I'm actually apologizing for doing something nice, but if you've ever been to the Corville Library, then what's weird is what happened after that is, I, you know, there's, there's a pretty big gap between the first section of doors, there's this airlock, and then there's a second, second, second section of doors. As I'm walking to the section, second section of doors, she, um, she's walking kind of like behind me, and then she lunges forward and grabs the door and holds it open, and then gives me that kind of like you know, mischievous smirk, right? I gave her my little courtesy smile. <laughs> but what I was thinking was like, you're weird. And, and, and you're confused, right? Something is out there in your head kind of telling you that this is wrong and I was just trying to be nice, you know? So, that's really where we are as a culture. There's a lot of confusion out there about masculinity. And because of that, um, many men walk around confused about how they're supposed to live as men of God. In fact, what gets paraded around these days for, as masculin- masculinity is, is really toxic. You know, like I said last week, if you do a Google search for masculinity, the first, first hit is toxic masculinity. That's what you find. And the truth is, is that what you see, what's in the media, what's in social media, what's, what's often visible to us in regards to masculinity is toxic masculinity, right? And so the challenge for us as men is how to allow, align our God-given masculinity with God-given purpose. How do I align, align my God-given masculinity with God-given purposes? That if we do that, we can change, the, we have the potential of changing the world. 
We certainly can make an impact in our families. We can make an impact in our communities. We can make an impact in our cities. If we will align what God is, how God has made us with his purposes and surrender it to his purposes, we can do that. But the problem is we live in a world that is confused about, about that. And so when we don't do that, when we don't align our God-given masculine with God-given purposes, what happens, what you see is toxic. And so when that's happening, there are three ways that we can oftentimes respond. If we're not aligning our masculine with God's purposes, here's one of the things that we do. We, we, we respond with passivity. with passivity. We talked about that last week. We become passive, right? This is the sin of Adam. The sin of doing nothing. Of saying nothing. And really, that's all the enemy needs of us men, really, for him to accomplish his plan, his purposes here on earth. All he needs us men to do is basically stand back, become passive, do nothing. That's all he needs. And so, this is how many men respond when they're not aligning their masculine with God's purposes. We, we just go dark, we become passive, we're confused about it, so we just unplug and we become passive. Another way that we often respond um, when we're not aligning our masculine with God's purposes is that we become aggressive, right? We have all this masculine, masculine energy and we either unplug, that is we become passive, or we explode and we become aggressive. And so we, we, you know, it's either silence or violence. And much of what gets attention as masculinity in our world is this toxic masculinity, this aggressive masculinity. And when a man takes his God-given masculinity, uses it to hurt someone, that's often what we see. He takes his masculinity, he uses it to take advantage of somebody, to, be, to use people. And so biblically speaking, there's nothing less masculine than a man who takes advantage of the vulnerable. A man who hurts those he's called to protect. There's nothing biblical, there's no, that's not biblical masculinity at all. So we either become passive or we become aggressive. Another way that we often respond to this disconnect between God-given purposes and our masculinity is that we become passive-aggressive. And I think this is really the choice of many Christian men. Because you can be nice, you can, you can be, you know, Christian, so to speak, and still be aggressive. Right? You can avoid conflict, you can avoid confrontation, and then just passively get your, you know, take your, out your anger, your, your frustration, your, your fears. And so passive, aggressive men will find ways to passively refuse their responsibilities. Passive, aggressive men will often deal with their conviction by playing the part of the victim. Passive, aggressive men, when challenged, will defend themselves by telling, them, telling others ways in which they've not been appreciated. When angry, they act sullen. They manipulate, alternating widely between hostility and, and contrition. You know, like they're angry and then they're, oh, I'm so sorry. Angry and then I'm so sorry. Angry and I'm so sorry. That's how we often act. Instead of being direct with their feelings and fears, they instead will withhold affection. They withhold communication. They withhold financial support. Passive-aggressive men often hate to commit to anything because if they commit, then somebody's going to hold them responsible to follow through. And so why commit? Today we're going to look at an Old Testament character by the name of Joshua, and he's going to serve as our prototype of what is biblical masculinity. Um, last week we talked about Adam, remember, and he represents the stereotype, what most men struggle with. 
how most men act is the way Adam was. <clears throat> Today, Joshua is a prototype. Now, doesn't mean that he's perfect. In fact, he's not perfect, but he's a good example. Can you pass me the water, please? <clears throat> he's a good example of, of what, excuse me. <laughs> All right. Joshua's a good example of what it looks like to try to become a man of God, right? And so that's what we're going to look. He's our, he's our prototype. What men look like when they're, when they're using their masculine for, and committing themselves to God and committing some, themselves to honoring God, committing themselves to courage. So we're going to look at Joshua chapter 1. But before we get into Joshua 1, I'm going to give you a little bit of backstory of what's happening here. Joshua, uh, if you know the story, the biblical story, you know that Moses and the children of Israel in Egypt, they're, they're slaves in Egypt, essentially. They've been slaves for 400 years, longer than the U.S. has actually been a country. The, the Israelites were slaves in Egypt. And God uses Moses to basically set the, set the, set the people free. They, you know the story, you know, uh, the, the Red Sea parts, and they pass on dry land. They get to the other side, and then they start making their way towards the promised land. This is the idea. Leave Egypt and go to the promised land, a land that's been promised to these people by God. And so they get to the edge of the promised land, and they're right there at the edge. Moses basically assigns 12 men the task of spying out the promised land, of going in and figure, figuring out, is this really the land that God has given us? He chooses one man from each tribe of Israel, and he sends them in. They return from their mission, and they all acknowledge that this land is the land of promise. They all acknowledge that this is amazing. This is beautiful land. It's fertile. They use language like it's land flowing with milk and honey. I always used to wonder, what in the world is land flowing? I don't want land that's flowing with milk and honey. But it's metaphoric language, you know, that, 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 that this is fertile land. This is an amazing piece of property. Yes, they should take it. So they return. That's, that's the idea. But the problem is that 10 of these guys come back, and they're, they're actually afraid. They're filled with fear. They, they acknowledge this is the right piece of land. This is, this is the land of promise. This is a place that we should be, but they're afraid. And this is what they say in Deuteronomy 128. The people of the land are taller and more powerful than we are, and their towns and are large with walls rising high into the sky. We even saw giants there. And so these 10 guys, they create an atmosphere of fear. They make the people afraid. But there's these two guys, Caleb and Joshua, they have a different view. They believe that God, that God has power to give them the land. They believe in the, in the promises of God. They experience miracles from God. They know that God can do this because they saw it. They saw him part the Red Sea. They saw him deliver them from, from Egypt. They know that God can give them this land. And so they have faith and they believe that God can do it. And so what do you have? You have 12 guys who see the same thing. They all agree with the same idea that this is the land of promise. This is the land that we should take. And yet, 10 of them are overwhelmed with fear. What were they afraid of? Maybe they were afraid of failure. Man, what is it that you're afraid of? Afraid to fail? Maybe they were afraid that they weren't strong enough. I mean, these people, I mean, they're powerful. Maybe they were afraid that they don't have what it takes because, because after all, they had these huge cities. There's no way they're going to be able to take over these cities. So, so they shrink back in fear. I think there are a lot of men who have shrunk into the recliner 
not because they're lazy, but because they're afraid. And so today, men, I'm speaking to you to look closely at the fears, and I'm, I'm one of those, okay? But to look closely at the fears, what am I afraid of? What's keeping me from rising up? What's keeping me from actually becoming the man that God wants me to become? And to look deep at the fears. Here, Joshua and Caleb, they have faith instead of fear. They have confidence in God's power. But as you know the story, because of the fear of the 10, because they convinced the people that they shouldn't go into the promised land, God has them wander in the desert for 40 years. And they just go, it's basically go, not because it took 40 years to get there. It, don't, it would actually only take them a week to get there. But they wandered for 40 years because of fear. Because of passivity. So men and women, don't let fear write your story. Are you hearing me? I mean, that's, that's actually something we need to hear. There's too many of us, because of fear, have not stepped out and done what God has called us to do. Don't let fear write your story, because if you do that, you will only end up with regrets. There are re- two kinds of regrets. There's re- regrets of action, that is, we do something and then we wish we wouldn't have done that. Like, we're upset that we did it. And then there's regrets of inaction, when we can do something, but we choose not to do it. You know what, statistically, what regrets we mostly think about? Not the regrets of action. Usually those are, those are instructive. Those help us not to do the same thing again. The ones we really regret are the regrets of inaction. The regrets that are, are prompted by fear and keep us from actually doing what God has called us to do. So Joshua, he's around 35 years old when he first spots the promised land. 40 years pass, he becomes Moses' second in command, and, and by the time we get to Joshua chapter 1, which is where we're going to start today, Moses has died, and Joshua has become the leader of the people. That's what it says in Joshua 1 verse 2. Moses, this is God speaking to Joshua. Moses, my servant, is dead, and now rise up. There's our language that we're using for this series. Rise up, go over this Jordan, you and all these people, into the land which I have given unto them. To the children of Israel. So God says to Joshua, rise up. Rise up. Don't let fear hold you back. And fear wasn't holding Joshua back. But he says, rise up. And then almost immediately, he gives them this task that seems almost impossible. And it's overwhelming. And that is across the Jordan River. I know they kind of says it like in passing, you know, now rise up, go over this Jordan. It's kind of like you read it and you think, oh, it's just like just jump across and there I'm on the other side of the Jordan. That's it, right? That's what it seems like. But you have to understand the Jordan River is a significant body of water. The Jordan River is actually in flood stage. This is a seriously difficult task for them to try to get across the river. So Joshua finds himself in this place where rising up means to step into something that is unsafe, unmanageable, unpredictable. Life can be that way. We can shrink back from it. And oftentimes that's what we do. But part of rising up is, hey, this this is part of it. You see, the recliner is safe. The recliner is predictable. The recliner is manageable. But when you rise up, When you say, God, I'm going to be the man you want me to be, when you do that, you're going to face some unpredictable things, some unmanageable things, some difficult tasks. In fact, that's part of the definition of rising up. 
It's being able to step into what God has called you to do and know that there's going to be a challenge in front of you. Joshua was able to rise up because he knew that his God was able. It's not that he was just a superhuman, a superman. There's a lot of men in our culture that want to be supermen. We're going to take the world all by ourselves. That's not Joshua. Joshua was the one that understood that God was his source. So really, men, I think the challenge for us today is to rise up and kneel down. I know it sounds a little bit weird, right? Rise up and kneel down. It's this idea that I'm going to rise up because God is calling me to greater, greater tasks. He's calling me to greater adventure. He's calling me to do things more than I can possibly even imagine. But it's also the recognition that I can't do it by myself. I can't do it alone. I need to bend the knee to God and say, God, I am in this place. This is impossible for me. I need you, God, to step in. I need you, God, to give me the strength. I need you, God, to give me the courage because I can't do this by myself. So really, the challenge for us this morning is rise up and kneel down. Rise up and kneel down. We need to find our strength, our help, our power from him. So some of you men, I'm just gonna challenge you this morning. Tomorrow morning, you're gonna get up in the morning. You're gonna get up out of bed. You're going to rise up out of bed because you've got to go to work. You've got to go do things at work. Maybe in your mind you're going to be thinking about all the things you've got to do, all the challenges in front of you that require you rising up. The challenge I'm going to give you is to not just do that, rise up and get out of that bed, but here's what I'm also challenging you to do is take a knee. Take 10 minutes, 15 minutes, maybe 40 minutes if you can, 50 minutes, And bend your knee to God and say, God, I need your help today. I give you my masculinity. I give you the strength that you, I give you my my strength, God, so you can give me your strength. I give myself over to you, God. I commit myself to you. I commit to using my masculine energy for you, God. If you do that, God will use you in powerful ways. In Joshua 1, verse 7 says, be strong. I love this, how God bookends. He's speaking to Joshua He's telling Joshua, you got to go into the promised land, right? And Joshua knows that there's giants over there. He knows there's fortified cities. He knows that there's a lot of challenge in front of him. And so God's trying to encourage Joshua, right? And so he books, bookends this, uh, this challenge that he gives to Joshua with two words. He says, be strong and very courageous. And let me just say that, men and women in this room, be strong and very courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the, to the right or to the left, that you, may, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so you may be careful to do everything written in it. So the challenge here is to, to obey the law, to follow the law, to be, to be people who, who do what Jesus calls us to do. Then, if you do that, then you will be prosperous and successful. There's a lot of men in this world that seek prosperity and success, but not this way. In a lot of other different ways. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you, and then he bookends again, be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. So God calls Joshua to be a man who commits himself, 
who goes all in for him. And he bookends, like I said, he bookends this command with be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. See, the key to commitment, God calls us to commitment. The key to commitment is courage. It's to say, I'm gonna do this. And it takes courage. It takes strength to do this. And courage, this courage is found when you, when, you, when you have faith in God, when you have confidence in God, you're able to see this courage rise up inside of you. Courage is really the key to finding, I mean, confidence is really the key to finding courage. Richard Wormbrandt, this is a pastor from Romania. Um, he uh, was arrested in 1948 because of his commitment to Christ. Richard Wormbrandt, um, wrote a book called Tortured for Christ because in 1940, when he was arrested, he was in prison for 14 years and for 14 years tortured. This is what he says. I I, I love this. Um, I don't know that I could do it. And maybe I would if I was in a situation I don't know, but this is what Richard Wormbrandt says in his book. He says, it was strictly forbidden to preach to other prisoners. It was understood that whoever was caught doing this would receive a severe beating. But a number of us decided, there's him and a few other pastors and other Christians in there, a number of us had decided to pay the price for the privilege of preaching. So we accepted their terms. It was a deal. We preached and they beat us. We were happy preaching, they were happy beating us. So everyone was happy. (laughs) You want to hear when I read that? Strength and courage. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and very courageous. Be strong and very courageous. I love one of his quotes. Uh, I've actually had this written in one of my Bibles. I use it often. It says, doing the work of God is dangerous. Not doing it is even more dangerous. Shrinking back is dangerous. You know what's, what's really dangerous? Spending your life in the recliner. That's what's really dangerous. God repeatedly tells Joshua, be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. I love how God challenges us to to strength and courage. Not just men, women as well. He calls us, he challenges us to strength and courage. And he's not talking about your own, muster up your own strength. He's talking about something that that comes from God. Here's the thing. Why does God do that? There's a call to go all in for him. And he says, be strong and very courageous, Essentially, what God is saying, I am with you. I am helping you. I am your help. In fact, one of the biblical names for God is helper. Throughout the Old Testament, when you read through the Old Testament, you'll find that God is often, often referred to as the helper of his people. One of the names for the Holy Spirit in the New Testament is helper, paraclete, one who walks alongside you. So what God is telling us here is that there is help. You, look, if you feel like you're, you're shrinking back, if you feel like you can't possibly do this, that there's help. Now, do you know who else is called helper in those scriptures? You can say it. Huh? Eve. That's right. When God introduces Adam to his wife, he says, here's your helper. Now, there's some ignorant men that will use this condescendingly. They'll say, this is my wife. She's my helper. Go wash the dishes. But man, be careful. Be very careful. Remember, he uses it for Eve, but he also uses it for himself and for the Holy Spirit. God is our helper. The Holy Spirit's our helper. Our wives are our helper, right? So what does that look like? When Richard Wormbrandt was arrested for his faith, there was a lot of pressure on pastors to basically um, to endorse the Communist Party. 
in Romania. So they were trying to get these pastors to say, hey, communism is good, because they knew that the pastors had a voice of the people. And so, so during this rally, there was all these pastors who were one by one coming up to this podium, and they were, and they were saying, they were endorsing co- uh, communism, which essentially was denying their own faith. And so this is going one by one, one by one, they were coming up and doing that. And the reason they were doing this is because they were being threatened for persecution. Well, it's almost Richard Wormbrand's turn to get up on stage and his wife leans into him and this is what she said to him. She says, they're spitting in the face of Jesus. These pastors were getting up and endorsing communism. She says, they're spitting in the face of Jesus. Get up there and wash away the shame from the face of Christ. That's what she told his, her husband. Sabrina is her name. And so Richard said to her, if I do so, you lose your husband. This is what she said. I don't wish to have a coward as a husband. So ladies, nobody's asking you to be weak so your husband can be strong. Are you hearing me? Being a helper is not being weak. Being a helper is inspiring and helping him. I mean, it takes an incredible amount of strength to be a helper. And guys... It's hard for your wife to help you if you don't admit that you need help. It's hard for your wives to help you if you don't become vulnerable every once in a while and say, look, I need help. Here's, here, here I am. These are my struggles, and I, and I just want you to know that I need help. Well, ladies, let me speak to you again. I did last week. I'm going to try to do it again this week. <clears throat> God has called you, if you're married, to be a helper to your husband. I know there's probably some of you sitting there saying, wait a minute, what are you talking about, Rich? I don't, want, I don't like that. You may not like the terminology, but just hear me out a little bit, okay? And I know that you want, I know that you want your husbands to become the man that God wants them to become. I know you want that. I know you desire that. You long for that. You long to, to wake up in the morning and see your man kneeling down in prayer. Or you long to see your man, you know, teaching, teaching your kids about Christ. I know you long for that. There's a lot of ways that that can be accomplished. You can choose, for example, you can choose to indict them, right? You can say, hey, uh, I mean, certainly there's plenty of evidence that we are guilty. Certainly there are many things that we've done that you can point to and say, this is why you're a problem. You can point out our failures, our shortcomings. You can even call witnesses against us and say, look, this is, and and we will all agree, yes, we are guilty of that. You can indict them. Or you can instruct them. I'm sure we could use it. I'm sure you know better than anyone else where we fall short and how we can make things better. And maybe you could pull out the red ink, red pen, and kind of write up and say, hey, this is, you need to fix this. You, you could, okay, what does that look like? You, you go buy the books, you know, how to be a better husband. Say, hey, you should read this. You don't, you don't accuse them, but you say, you should read this book, Right? You can instruct, but I'm pretty sure you didn't marry us to be our replacement mom or teacher. (laughs) We didn't marry you for that either. (laughs) Third option, I think, and this is the one I would encourage, is you can inspire them. You can inspire them. I'm not talking about fake praise or insincere flattery. I'm talking about Sabrina Wormbrandt who understood who her husband was and who understood who God wanted her husband to be and spoke life into him, encouraged him, challenged him. You notice when he tries, you appreciate it. 
And when he's struggling and he's down, you might be tempted to kick him while he's down, but instead of kicking him, you actually put your hand out and you lift him up. I know this is going to be embarrassing to my wife, Christy, but I made a f- photocopies of a calendar that she gave to me a long time ago, back in the 90s. On the cover of this calendar, she didn't give it to me, it was actually just sitting around in our house, but she would write, there was, it was all these little, like Christian sayings, and she would write things on it. On the cover, she wrote, <clears throat> to Rich, my gift from God, from Christy. And then she said, <clears throat> um, <clears throat> excuse me. She said, Jesus, I want to be an encourager to my husband, an edifier, one with a positive word. Lord, help me. I love you. She, um, she wrote a lot of things. I looked at your hands this morning and, ta- and thought, what strong, gentle, giving hands you have. I love it when, you, when we hold hands. And I mean, I go on, I'm embarrassing her and I'm embarrassing myself. But, and these are just a few pages of that thing that she wrote. This is years ago. Chris, I, I want you to know this. I have done things in this world that I would have never done without her encouragement. Not because she was kicking me while I was down. Not because she was accusing me. Not because she found all the things wrong with me. We've had a few of those. But because she inspired me. She spoke life to me. She was a helper. And I get why. I mean, you can, you can indict, you can instruct, or you can inspire. And I get why women feel like they have to indict. And I get why women feel like they have to instruct. I mean, they might feel like, hey, if I don't tell them, who will? Right? I mean, somebody's got to tell them. Somebody's got to tell them that, that he's, he's royally screwing up our family. I get that. And you're right. Somebody does. What I like, if you look at the life of Joshua, you see that Joshua had a friend. His name was Caleb. Now, we don't know a whole lot about Caleb, but six times it tells us that Caleb was a man who wholly followed the Lord. He wholly followed the Lord. He completely had given himself. Oh, Caleb was a man who, who was described as pursuing God passionately. And so men, you need a man like that in your life. You need a man who's pursuing God passionately. Here's what happens. You hear me say that, and then you leave here, and this week, you connect with your best buddy. But guess what your best buddy's doing? He's not pursuing God passionately. He's pulling you down to his level. You need men who are going to speak life into you, challenge you, and encourage you. And men, you need to be that for other men who are going to speak life into other men. Pull them up. I promise if you do this, You relieve your wife the pressure of having to tell you anything if you'll have a man in your life. Joshua, he's committed to God. I mean, what I love is that his his commitment to God spans his whole life. In Joshua 24, we come to the end of that. He's, He's 110 years old. He's been a slave in Egypt. He's been a warrior. He's been a commander. He's a ruler. And now he knows that his time is short. And so he basically calls the people together. So I've got a, I got something to tell you guys. That's what he says in Joshua 24. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. This is Joshua speaking to the people. Throw away the gods your ancestors worship, your ancestors worship beyond the Euphrates River and, and in Egypt, and serve the Lord. 
But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you're living. Joshua says, but as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. So it's kind of like Joshua calls a huddle for the men of Life Church. He said, hey guys, come on, gather in. Take a knee. <clears throat> it's time to make a choice. It's time to make a commitment. Yeah, you can, you can come to church on Sunday mornings and worship me and all that and then go home during the week and just do everything the opposite of what you learned on Sunday morning. You can do that. But I'm asking you to make a choice. I'm asking you to commit. I'm asking you to step across that line to be the man that God has called you to become. And it requires commitment. It requires determination. This is why God tells him, be strong and very courageous. This is what you need to take away. The strength and courage that doesn't that we're talking about doesn't come from your own determination. It's not like you grit your teeth and you're going to just be stronger. It comes from God, who's your source. It comes from saying, from getting up, so making a commitment here this morning, saying, I am not going to do that anymore. I'm going to be a different man. That's what you say to yourself. And then you kneel down and say, okay, God, I need your help. I don't know how I'm going to do this. I don't know if I can do this, but I need your help, God. I need you to help me be a better father. I need you to help me be a better, better husband. I need you to help me be, be a better person. God, I need you to help me. Rising up and kneeling down. That's the commitment. God calls us to all. Calls, calls all of us men to that. Amen. Let's all stand. <clears throat> Listen, guys, I really struggled even deciding to make this deciding to do this series because the truth is I'm more stereotyped than prototype <laughs> I'm, I fit in with what most guys do and I'm not saying that with humility believe me I'm not saying that in humility I know my heart I know where I am I want to be the prototype I want to be the archetype I want to be like Jesus I want to be <clears throat> but oftentimes I find myself drifting into passivity I find myself, you know, not stepping up when I should step up, not saying when I should say. And so I'm in, I'm in this with you. So I'm challenging you this morning. Don't let this just be another Sunday morning, men, where we come here, we hear a word from God, we hear God directly talking to us and it's time for you to step up and just walk away and do nothing. Let's make a choice today, amen? Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, I want to thank you for the men in this room, the world changers in this room, the men who you have given capacity, potential, determination. God, you have called them, Father God, to step up, to rise up out of the lazy boy. And Lord God, to become the men that you have called them to become. Father, I ask right now that you'd give us the strength and the courage that we need to get up and give us the humility to kneel and commit ourselves completely to you, Jesus. Here we are, Father. Use us. In Jesus' name, amen.